Thanks. Well, welcome back. Good morning again. It's really good to see you. Christ is risen. Not too bad. Christ is risen. Much better. Yeah, yeah. I think the Lord even heard it. So we praise God. Uh, so welcome to our time here to study God's word together in our worship service. We have we've had great worship service so far already. Amen. And uh, and the music and the communion time. Thanks, Brad. And and all of the things that God's doing. And we get to worship the Lord now in this part of the service through studying His Word and letting the Holy Spirit speak to us through His Word. Amen? And, and it's all worship. So we're just really thankful for that. And we're thankful for you guys being here. And uh, it's just good to see you. You know, we are so... Every time I stand up here and I look around, you know, we're blessed being here at Riverside. And, and we just love you guys. And... Uh, and it's just great. And uh, so I'm really nervous today, but you can pray for me on this. Uh, I, I'm really excited about a message today. Uh, this is a message that's probably been stirring around in my heart for at least 10 years. And uh, Paul's been going through Esther, talking about the providence of God. And in the providence of God, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody say hi to Paul. He's probably going to watch me. <laughs> so we, we appreciate that. And uh, Paul's a blessing. And uh, the book of Esther is a blessing. But we're thankful for that. And, uh, and so there's something stirring today, I think, in America. I think there's something stirring around the world. But I think there's something stirring in America. I'm not sure what it is. But... Uh, we want to explore it a little bit today, I think, just in this time that we have in God's Word. And so, uh, I hope that you're interested. Anybody interested? Okay. Any Jesus people here today? Amen. Seriously. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for the Word of God. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who changes us. God, may you be glorified in our time now. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. So, um, so, the title of the message, if I can do this right, maybe I don't. So, uh, what am I missing, Dan? Just pretend that something's up there. <laughs> Whatever you want it to say, <laughs> just so it's from God, right? <laughs> I don't know. What am I doing? Is this on? Uh, I'm trying to figure this out. Wrong. Is it on? Yeah, it's on, and I don't know why it's not showing. Okay. It's okay. I'm okay, right? <laughs> okay, so the title that, uh, that I'd like to suggest this morning is pretty simple. It's uh, Jesus revolution, a Jesus revolution. And the passage that I like to use is actually the one that Brad referred to in the communion time. It's Ephesians chapter 2, the verse seven, first seven verses. So if you have your Bibles, we'd like to read it right at the beginning. 
Ephesians 2, beginning of verse 1. If you have a Bible, follow along. If you have it on your phone, whatever you have. Uh, but uh, let us listen to the Word of God. Ephesians 2, excuse me, not Ephesians, it's Revelation 2. Man, are you praying for me? Anybody praying? Let's start this over. It's Revelation chapter 2, to the church at Ephesus. To the church at Ephesus, sorry. Ephesians is the church to whom God is speaking here. So Revelation 2, beginning at verse 1. Everybody have it? Can we stand while we read God's Word at this point? This is the Word of God. Revelation 2, beginning at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you've found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a seat. Unless you'd like to stand for the message. <laughs> I think God is doing something these days, and like I said before, I'm not really sure what all it is, and, and maybe you have something definite that the Lord's telling you and showing you, uh, but we just really thank the Lord for what He's doing, and we thank the Lord for Dan. And, uh, hey, Dan, you just, can you just do it? I am free. <laughs> So I have a question this morning, a really serious question. It's for myself, but it's also for all of us here. Will you still follow Jesus? Will you still follow Jesus? Will I still follow Jesus? I was talking to a friend of mine several years ago now in, in a, my study at, at church. And his name is George. He just had come to faith in Christ recently. He was pretty excited, started coming to church, but he was going through a real, real serious time with his marriage. It was falling apart. We were praying like crazy that God would do a miracle and restore it. And, uh, and we were talking about faith, and, and I said to George, I said, George, let me ask you a question. George, we're praying for this, but if God does not answer your prayer the way that we want, will you still follow Jesus? And George, you young Christian, he, he looked at me and he thought for a moment and he said, I will still follow Jesus. He said, I'm in this to the end. 
And that was several years ago now. And, and unfortunately, God did not answer that prayer the way that we hoped. But God did work. And several years now, George, my friend, is still following Jesus. Because when he told me that, by God's grace, he meant it. And God gave him the grace over the years to persevere in it. Praise God, right? Will you still follow Jesus? If your life falls apart, if craziness goes on, if something happens to your family, something happens to your job, if your finances go downhill, if, if, if you just don't feel like it, will you still follow Jesus? Will I still follow Jesus? It's a really good question, and, and uh, be really careful. Don't answer it too quickly without thinking about what it means. Amen? Well, way back in the olden days uh, that I'm going to be talking about a little bit later here in a few minutes anyway, uh, a famous musical group came from England to the United States, the Beatles. Yeah, anybody? Yeah, some of you know the Beatles. <laughs> so it was a phenomenon back then, and it was crazy. And my sister really loved it. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm really thankful to have my sister Becky and my brother-in-law Tim here with us today as a surprise to me. And uh, they're part of that time back in those days that we're talking about where God really touched a lot of our lives. And many of you are part of that as well. Amen. Some of you say amen to that? Yeah, yeah so this is, this is good, good stuff. But anyway, the Beatles, they, they thought they were really popular. And so you'll remember that one of the Beatles, John Lennon, made this statement. He was being interviewed one time, and he said this. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first. Rock and roll Christianity or Christianity? And guess what? We have an answer for him, don't we? Because John Lennon is gone. But Christianity is still here. Jesus Christ is still here. And it is worth it to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we, we want to study, <clears throat> we want to look at this passage in, in Revelation for a few minutes. And then I'd like to talk with you about a Jesus revolution and this movie that's going on today that people are seeing, people are talking about almost everywhere I go. Uh, people are, I'm running into people who were there back then, just like Jan and I. And we want to talk about that for a few minutes. Does that make sense? The Jesus Revolution. It's a story of how God transformed an unlikely generation and how he can do it again today. I believe he can. So you might be asking, well, what was it and why did it matter? And we want to talk about that. But let's start with our passage in Revelation 2 and a look at that. I'd like to call this a Jesus Revolution letter. That's sort of putting a modern lingo on it, but a Jesus Revolution letter. And it's a letter from God to the church at Ephesus, but also then to us as well. Amen? Today. And so... There are five notices in this letter, in this little message from Jesus to the church. Five notices. Let's, let's just run through them briefly here. Number one, there is a notice in here. We should notice the command that God gave. In verse one, again, it says, 
to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is the command right at the beginning. It's to the church, again, where? At Ephesus. So you probably are aware of this, but back in those days, Ephesus was the sort of the vanity fair of Asia at that time. It was a political, it was a religious and commercial center of the world. And probably the population was about 250,000 people, so not bad. It was the city where the Apostle Paul went more than once, remember, and he encountered great opposition, remember? But at the same time, he encountered the great working of the power of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God. That's Ephesus. And so the command here is just saying to this angel, he's talking to John, the apostle, write this down. Write this down. Write it down for you and me. Amen? So it's to the angel. Now, a lot of people say, well, what's the angel? And and some people think it's a real angel. Some people think it's the pastor of the church. You know, and and, uh, I'm sort of 50-50 on it, so you can choose what you think. It all depends probably on whether you think your pastor is an angel. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) So anyway, it's a command from the Lord. And it's a command to write down the words of Jesus Christ to this church. And he's the one who holds fast the stars. We know that from chapter 1. A place of protection and honor. He patrols the churches. And he patrols in and out of the lampstands. Because churches and we, we're supposed to be lampstands, right? Shine, shine, shine for Jesus Christ. That's, That's our job, right? And he patrols it. And he's talking to this church. The second notice is the commendation. I'm thankful for this because when Jesus looks at the church, he he has some good things to say. Isn't this good? Uh, He says in verses 2 and 3, he goes on to say this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they're not, and you found them false. You've persevered, and you've endured hardships for my name, and not grown weary. Amen, right? That's not too bad, I don't think. These are things that Christ is praising the church for. Not a bad list. They're good works, right? That's, that's always nice. They're toil. In other words, they didn't come to loaf. They came to go to work for the kingdom of God. That that was good. And then the perseverance, of course. You know, no quitters, welcome. (laughs) You know, let's let's stick at it. They were discerning. They were not wishy-washy. They were willing to confront false doctrine and do it properly. And the best part of it is they did it all for the Lord. You've done it for me, he said. They did the right things for the right reasons at the right time. So, So, anybody like that? Sounds not, not too bad, right? Wouldn't we wish all the churches in America would be like that? Amen. You might say, boy, if we could do that in America, we could go to town and we could save this country. Amen? But wait, right? Wait, wait, wait a second. There's a forgotten ingredient here. You know, Brad referred to us. It's the most important one of all, isn't it? 
And so he goes into the next notice. So the third notice is to notice the criticism from the Lord. It's verse 4. Very short. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Wow. So believe it or not, the apple's core is bad. Evidently, there's a lack of devotion to Jesus. That's what I understand to be the first love. I think that's the most common understanding of it. It's the first love. It's the most important love. My love for Jesus, right? It's my first love. And he said, you know, I got this against you. You left your first love, your first one, your best one. Now notice it says you left, you didn't lose it. We're not talking about losing your salvation, right? We're not talking about that here. That's not theology here. But they had departed from their devotion and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fervency was gone, evidently. And so that is a perturbing question, isn't it? It is to me. I hope it is, you know, to all of us. Is, is my love for Christ alive and well? You know, what would we say? Is my love for Christ's word and his fellowship of his people alive and well and vibrant? Or has the winter freeze set in? Where I no longer have any anticipation of meeting with God. No excitement. And I don't have any time anyway because my life is so full. Jesus is saying, this is important. This is the, the first love. Be sure you understand this. It's really disturbing, isn't it? It's convicting to me. But I praise the Lord when he points things out to us and rebukes us. He always gives us a way out, right? He always gives us a way of escape, you might say. And so the next notice the next one is the correction in verse 5 and 6. Once again, let's read it uh, again. Thank you, Brad, for reminding us. It says in verse 5, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Wow. So here, so here it is. If I look in the mirror and, and the reflection that I see of me is this, what do I do? What can I do? Well, the Lord tells us right here, the Holy Spirit records it. There's three steps. Pretty simple, really. The first one is what we talked about already. It's remember. Just, you know, remember. Remember. As a general habit of my life, whenever the need arises, remember, push the memory button. Remember how you used to love the Lord so much and love reading his word and praying. And you couldn't wait to attend and be at the gathering of God's people and the family of God. Remember. Remember how you used to want so much to tell someone else about what God is doing for you and share the gospel. Remember. And that's number one. So when I remember, then the second step is to do what? Repent. He says that. Repent here. So this is a great biblical word, isn't it? You like re It's a good one, isn't it? And it's not just for non-believers. It's most commonly for believers in the Bible. Repent. 
It means to change your mind. It means to reverse course. The choice is mine. The choice is yours. It means to make a decisive and effective choice. The Holy Spirit says, do this. Make it happen. Don't just try. Make it happen. And begin now. That's the Holy Spirit. So remember, repent. And then what's the third step? Go back and do the first things all over again. I love this, don't you? It's not rocket science. It's, it's right here. Do start back where you left off. Just go back and start doing it again. But this time, do it with a renewed heart and attitude and zeal. And see what happens. It's such a great, great thing. A decisive break is in order. The Holy Spirit is saying to the church at Ephesus, is he not? And to me. And Jesus says, or else, or else. See, the Bible always teaches this principle, use or lose. Use or lose. Use or lose. We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about your service. Your opportunities to serve the Lord. He says, or else you will lose your place of service for the kingdom of God. I'm going to take your lampstand away. So, you know, opportunity comes to your life and mine all the time, right? We have opportunity knocks. You've, you've heard that little saying, you know. Opportunity is knocking. Sometimes we hear, we go to the door. Sometimes we ignore it. Opportunity knocks, you know. But if I wait long enough and I don't go to the door, opportunity lingers for a little bit. But then opportunity backs off the porch. Opportunity goes down the steps. And opportunity goes down the street. And it's gone. The lampstand is gone. I don't know what you think about this. It's pretty sobering to me. And, and it's a challenge to me. You know, this could happen to me. It can happen to any of us. I think most of us would agree that when we look around, there are has-been Christians all around us. And here was this city, Ephesus, with this great church, the church at Ephesus. And history tells us, sad to say, this great center of influence cooled off. They became apathetic, compromised their faith, and finally departed. No more church. And I'm told today, uninhabited since the 14th century. This is a terrifying warning to us, I think. And in verse 6, that last phrase about the Nicolaitans, that's a hard one. Hard to understand, and I'm not sure that I've got it. But it's maybe something like this. The Nicolaitans probably were professing Christians who led immoral lives. Right? playing both sides of the fence at the same time. Professing Christians, but immoral lives. And, and maybe God's point is something like this to the Ephesian church. He's saying, what you now hate, you may one day love. And what you may one day love, you may one day become. Wow. What a warning that is. This may be the grisly product of being doctrinally sound and devotionally declining. Ouch. This hits home, doesn't it? 
is done in love. So the Lord challenges us. In verse 7, he, he always ends this way, and I love it. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Don't you like that? So, you know, right? Amen? You know, so put your hands on, put your hands up here. Like, Go ahead. Don't be embarrassed. You know, what, what are these two things here? You got them? Okay. Everybody has some? If if you're okay, look to the person next to you and just make sure they've got them. (laughs) You know, my goodness, we've got a whole room full of people with ears. So why does Jesus say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear? We know, don't we? It's because he's talking about not physical hearing, but spiritual hearing. Because you can read this stuff and you can listen to this stuff and and go right over our heads. And that would be a great mistake. So amen to this. We could go on and on. I I read a sort of a humorous story one time of a little boy. He was in his home and he he was in the kitchen. He was really cold. This is some time ago. He was really cold. And so his dad was there and he said to his dad, Dad, I, I just wish we had more registers in this house. Can't we get more registers in this house? And his dad just smiled because his dad knew, you know, the, the need wasn't for more registers. The need was for more fire in the furnace. So here we are in America and in our world, and we're moaning and groaning, and rightly so, you know, about the state of affairs of everything. And we say, oh, God, God, we need more registers. And the Holy Spirit is listening to this, and he's saying, you, you don't know. You've got it wrong. You don't need more registers. You need more fire in the furnace. You need more zeal and love for Jesus. Amen? So I don't know if this makes sense, but this then leads me to this whole topic of a Jesus revolution. You might call it that. And what God is doing today I love the music, the, the songs that we sang today. Uh, there was one word that I noticed appeared in almost every song, and it was the word desperation. Did you happen to catch that? The word desperation. So I, I know I've shared this before here at Riverside, but I remember the time when Dan and I went to a pastor's conference at Moody, and it was a, we went to this workshop on revival and spiritual awakening. And Erwin Lutzer was there and many others there. It was great. A great time in that room full of, of pastors and, and leaders. And at the end of that, there was one brother there from Africa. And, and so he stood up and he, he said to us, to the whole group, and he said, I just want you brothers to know that in Africa, we're praying for America. We're praying for revival and awakening in America. You know, and everybody was... That was impressive. And, and then he said, but we don't know how it's going to come yet. Because there's one of two ways. It will either come through devastation or it will come through desperation. And they're praying for desperation. Are we desperate enough to seek the Lord afresh and anew in our hearts? So... That's sort of what this whole Jesus revolution to me was about back then. It's the story of his glory. And uh, it, I, I don't, how many of you have seen the movie, if you don't mind me asking? 
The Jesus Revolution, yeah. So uh, as we mentioned, we're going to show it again in, in uh, the end of the month. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, the Jesus Revolution was an astonishing thing that took place in the late 60s and early 70s, mainly in America. And it, it just was a time, it was called the Jesus Movement also, and it happened mainly among young people, college-age young people. It swelled. Back then, the baby boomer generation, in the late 60s there, it was, here's the thing, it was the largest public movement of the Holy Spirit in the United States since the celebrated revivals of the 19th century. It was all over the newspapers and the news, <clears throat> and most of us have not heard about it or known very little about it. And, and you may be, and I may be in that category. You know, what was it, and what, what, what's the big deal about it today? And I think that that's worth considering a little bit here. So um, I think we have the trailer of the movie. I know you've seen the movie, many of you, but here's the trailer, came out over a year ago. Uh, just to whet your appetite, if you haven't seen it, can we show that trailer? Do I? Yeah. Hey, Square. I am not a square. I think we should invite Greg this weekend. What's this weekend? The mountain is high. How are you doing, Southern California? These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. What they need is a bath. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie, and I'll ask him what it's all about. I do not understand. This house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Slow down, man, slow down. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. Probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome! Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then, that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was most done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're gonna need a bigger church. is a dark and divided place but now there's hope and it's spreading this is your home and i want you to tell all your friends about it all right <clears throat> all right that's uh, that, <clears throat> excuse me i am having a problem with my voice uh, so we praise the lord for that that really is a story also about great glory if you're familiar with that name as well as Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel. So let me just give a really quick disclaimer here. Uh, we're talking about this for a few minutes here this morning. And uh, 
I, I don't want to at all imply that everything that happened with that movement back then was right and good and perfect, because it wasn't. There was some good things, there were some bad things, there were some extreme things, but there were some good things along with it. And by the way, that's been true of every spiritual awakening in America. Jonathan Edwards, who was a famous theologian, very conservative, you know, back in uh, New England states, he, he talked about revolutions going on back then. And he wrote about it and he said, what you need to do is you need to look at something like that. You need to evaluate the good from the bad, get rid of the bad, but hang on to the good. And that was Jonathan Edwards and it hasn't changed too much. So, you know, some people are saying about things like that, like what happened back then, you know, uh, was it real? And did it last? Good questions, right? So if you have those questions today, I, I'm just, I would like to encourage you to take a look at us, Jan and myself and many people here, because number one, it was real. And it lasted. And we're not the only ones. There are thousands of people all over the country whose lives were touched and changed by it. The interesting thing today is that the culture today, the situation today is so similar to what it was back in those days. And so back then it was chaotic. If you think the culture today is chaotic with race and politics and violence and war, maybe you haven't seen anything yet because it was at least that bad back then, if not worse. And it was a time when there was chaos everywhere you looked. And yet for some reason, God in his great mercy and love, he began to invade the lives of those hippies out on the West Coast. These young people who became disenchanted with everything about the establishment. They went into sex, they went into drugs, they went into drinking, and you know, communes and free love and you name it. They went into all those things. They left the established church and they went crazy out there in California, but so many of them found a dead end. And when they got to the dead end, they realized that that wasn't the answer, and they came to Jesus instead. And it turned the nation upside down. So Jan and I were around at that time. That's when, that, that is our roots. That's the time in which we both came to Christ and many probably of you as well. We weren't hippies on the West Coast. <laughs> Maybe Jan was a little, you know. <laughs> nope. We, we were good church-going kids in Ohio. But the Holy Spirit started on the West Coast, and you know what? He didn't stop. He just coming right across the country. And it just swept and swept and swept. It's a story of of his glory, uh, the story of Jesus' revolution there. So the observations, we can make three observations about this. And uh, just to think about what it was like, number one, we can say a Jesus movement is a movement about Jesus. Amen? <laughs> that makes sense. 
But what that means, of course, it's not about a church. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a group of people. And it's not about me or about you or about any person, not any leader. It's about Jesus. And we know from the Bible that the Bible says there's one way. And the motto back then was one way. And so if you ever see any pictures, you'll see this mob of kids out there, you know, and holding up their finger. One way. There's one way to heaven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's salvation in no other. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved than Jesus Christ. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to forgiveness of sins. There's one way to pardon, to peace, to purpose, to meaning in your life. There's one way. And these young people believed it and they found it because it was real in Jesus Christ. So secondly, a Jesus movement is a Holy Spirit movement. We can say that. So, you know, I, I have... So I am not a wild-eyed Pentecostal holy roller. Although I have some good friends who are. <laughs> I'm not, you know. But I believe in the Holy Spirit. Anybody? The Holy Spirit works. And this was a movement of the Holy Spirit. We who were back then, we just got caught up in it. Now we have our own choices. We have to choose, right? But the Holy Spirit is the one who comes. And He works in our lives. And then thirdly, a Jesus movement is about the mission of God. This is what God is up to. God loves the whole world. And He's after them. He wants to rescue as many people as He can in the world. And he's going after it with his people who are willing to follow him. Amen? And I hope that that's you and me. So does this make sense? What we're saying here, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, there's a lot I could say. But uh, so just a little bit about our story. And the reason that I want to do this this morning is because many of you could be up here doing it, saying the same things. But I want to just encourage you because... This is what happened with Jan and me back in that day. We both came to faith in Jesus Christ, mainly through the ministry of Billy Graham during that time. And that's a whole other story, but it was through Billy Graham. And so we're thankful about that. But we were students at Ohio State at that time. And I was majoring in biological science and education at that time. Uh, Jan was in elementary education, but we, we became Christians. And, and on my senior year of college, we went back that last semester, and it was at the height of the Vietnam riots. The height. And I would walk out of my apartment to go to my class in the morning, and I would see this mob of students over here yelling and cursing and throwing rocks. And over here is this mob of police with their helmets and tear gas and their clubs over here. And you have to walk through that to get to class, and then you have to walk through it to get back afterwards. It was chaotic. So Kent State was just up north of Ohio State. And you might remember that's where students were killed. The students were killed, shot dead. And that just made things worse in college campuses because all the radicals came down from Kent State to Ohio State and made it worse. It was the worst of times, but in one way it was the best of times because of what God was doing. 
So I, I remember at Ohio State, there's an open space in, in the campus there. And you could go and you could stand up in the campus and you have, you know, this little saying about standing on your, it's okay, yeah, God bless you. We love babies, right? <laughs> um, you could stand up on your soapbox, so to speak, and you could talk about anything you wanted. And you would always get a crowd. So the communists would come, the Marxists would come, the, the socialists would come, everybody would come. And you'd get a crowd and you'd talk. Well, we were new Christians, so we didn't know any better. And we just thought, well, if they can do it, we can do it too. <laughs> so, so we get on our soapbox, you know, we talk about Jesus Christ. And, we, and you always get a crowd. So one day we were there, and, and I looked out there, and there was this group of these guys that looked really dangerous. And, they, you know, they were the real hippie types. <laughs> and they were right there. And uh, so I got done sharing something, and, and, uh, and what, the leader of it comes up to me, and he says, uh, we want you to come over to our house tonight and talk some more about this. So I'm a new Christian. I mean, I, you know, I, I was so green <laughs> and naive. And, and so my buddy and I, we went. We went to this house. It was like one of these fraternity houses, but not that good. And, <laughs> and it was this house. And, and we walked in there. It was dark, smoke filled everywhere. All these guys sitting around. They actually, you know, we found out later they were like this group of white panthers. You've heard of the Black Panthers? These were the white guys who were partners with the black guys, <laughs> the White Panthers. And so they were sitting, and we walked in there, and they were sitting, they had a circle of chairs all around, and then they had two empty ones right here. <laughs> they said, well, you know, they told us to sit down. <laughs> and, and we sat down, and they said, okay, we'd like to hear more about this Jesus Christ that you're talking about. And we must have spent an hour, an hour and a half there answering questions, talking with these guys. It, I, it just blew my mind, you know, but God was working. You see, th this is what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit did this, and we just got to be part of it. And it was an exciting thing of, of what was happening there. So, uh, oh, let's see, what else? So, in the middle of my last semester at Ohio State, it got so bad on the campus that the administration shut the campus down and they sent everybody home. 40,000 students they sent home because it was so bad. And only those of us who had a good reason to stay could stay, and I was part of that little group. <laughs> and so some of us stayed, but everybody else went home. And so at that time, I was doing student teaching because that was, you know, my thing right then. And I was, I, I was doing student teaching and just finishing up that and so I had this neat thing, so I finished it up, and and at the end of the semester there, you know, in the high schools, uh, I just said to the classes, I was in two or three of them, and I said, you know, you guys, I think it'd be really neat when we're all done here. Let's let's just have a picnic. Let's have a cookout. We'll go out and we'll have some pizza and play some softball, and I'll tell you about my faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, you don't have to come. This is not required. It's voluntary. You know, the school didn't say anything about it. <laughs> so, so we did that. And, and they came. And so we had this time. We went out to this park. We had a lot of good pizza. And we played softball. And, and then I shared about my faith in Jesus Christ. And I went through the four laws. And I invited them at the end to receive Christ if they were interested now, only God knows people's hearts, right? But as far as I can tell, 
Most of those kids prayed to receive Christ that day. Praise God. I'm mentioning it not because of me. It really had nothing to do with me except I was there. It had to do with the Holy Spirit moving and working. Amen? That's what's so exciting to me. That's what we need so much today. So I, I know uh, that, that this is not a magic answer to all the problems of the world, what we're talking about. It's not. But I think it's part of the answer. Right? Do you? I think it's part of what America needs today. And so we can't always be on a mountaintop because we have problems and we have trials and sufferings, right? And that's part of life too. We got to deal with that. But man, it doesn't hurt sometimes to have a mountaintop experience that gets us fired up, that gets us a shot in the arm and brings a nation like America back to God the way that we used to be, perhaps. So we are weak and sinful and unworthy people, but God is strong and holy, and He is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Amen? Anybody agree? Amen. He is. And so there's a lot more that I could say, and, and I just wanted to maybe share those things to whet our appetite a little bit for something. So I'm just wondering you know, about your story. Where are you in all this? Are you ready for a Jesus movement? If that was God's will, are you ready for another Jesus movement? Yes. When God shows up, what will you do? Because not everybody jumped on board. Not everybody did. But the changes, number one, it's real. And number two, for many of us, it lasted. And out of that generation, God raised up all kinds of leaders and ministries, called people into full-time Christian ministry, sent people to the mission field, and, and then just many, many of their callings in normal, everyday life. God did it. And we are reaping the benefits of that in evangelical Christianity today. Today. And we give thanks to God. Amen. So I just want to encourage us with that. Thousands of people, I mean in America, thousands of Christians are praying about this. No more playing. We're staying. We're saying we still will follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I think God is saying, tell this story and give him the glory. Amen. Amen. One of the great singers in those days, and there were many, is Keith Green. A lot of you probably haven't ever heard of him. I think we have a video clip of Keith in one of his most popular songs. Just to t give you a taste of that. So let's look at that now, if we can. Keith Green. You hear of Keith Green? Some, yeah. On Monday night this week, about midnight, I wrote a letter to the Lord. I didn't know where to mail it, so I put it in my Bible. And I asked him, Lord, you got to do something about my heart. You know, a lot of time's gone by since I met you. And it's starting to harden up. You know, it's just kind of natural. I want to have baby skin, Lord. I want to have 
like a baby on my heart. It's starting to get old and, and wrinkled and callous. It's not because anything I'm doing. It's because of a lot of things I'm not doing. And I stayed up till about two in the morning writing this song.
So would you be willing to tell this story and give God the glory? Would you be willing to pray for another Jesus revolution? Doesn't have to look the same. Probably wouldn't. Doesn't have to act the same. Most likely not. But it has the same God and the same Jesus at the very center. And at this point in our lives and in our country, And even in the world, we may be on the cusp of something that's happening. Let's not miss it. Amen. God bless you for your patience. I love this this quote. As long as God is on his throne, revival is as possible as the sun rising tomorrow morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you very much. Yeah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, right? Let's come with some music here. And uh, and, uh, God is beautiful. Amen.